If you're visiting with us this morning, big welcome. Hope you feel at home. Hope you feel super chilled. Um, really am excited. I, um, my wife is away. Cindy's away in KZN at the moment. That's not why I'm excited um, at all. <laughs> Just in case she's watching online. Babes, not ex- missing you terribly. I really am. Um, I'm, I'm a hugely dysfunctional dad. I've got one daughter who I'm looking after. My other daughter, Eden, went with Cindy. And so Amber's lived on chicken nuggets and pizza and other reheated stuff that I managed to find in the, in the, in the deep freeze, which Cindy left for us. So, babes, the food's running out. Come home. <laughs> anyway, guys, I really am excited to preach this morning. I always am excited to preach, but this morning in particular, I... Um, you know, there's times as a preacher where you preach messages where you're kind of putting one brick in the wall at a time. You know, we try really hard in this church and we believe that we preach from Scripture. We don't, believe, we don't preach our preference. And what we want to try and do is preach the whole counsel of God. So the tricky Scriptures, the tough stuff. We preach about sin and we preach about hell and we preach about repentance. We also preach about grace and Jesus and love. And we want to preach the whole counsel of God, right? Everything, you know, the whole lot. Um, and then there's some Sundays where I feel like God has given me a specific word, just very for where we're at as a church. And I think even beyond our church, maybe, maybe for, um, i maybe be so presumptuous as to say for the church beyond Center Church, but for the church of our city and maybe even beyond. And I want to preach this morning about living a life, right, by building something that lasts, Right? I'm talking about legacy today. I'm talking about building something that I leave behind that actually lasts for my life. And when I look back over my shoulder, there's something that's been substantive. There's been something that I can look back and go, wow, look what God did. You know, like meaning stuff. Because I think at the moment, um, to a large degree, we're all in a little bit of a rebuild, right? The world's been in a tricky place, in case you ever noticed, for the last couple of years. And many of us are rebuilding in different areas. It could be relationally rebuilding. It could be our businesses we're rebuilding. It could be um, some of us maybe even with mental health. Like there's a whole bunch of different things that, we, that we've been working through and trying to rebuild and put things back together to go forward. And at a time like this, and, and not just within the church, but across our country, with this rebuild happening, I'm watching people. I mentioned it at the prayer meeting this morning. People are so nervous because if I pick something up and I start to build now, what if everything changes again? So there's almost this like passivity of like, I'm just waiting, John Mayer vibes, waiting on the world to change, just waiting for, I don't know, the green light. Um, I, was, <laughs> I watched the thing on, on, on Facebook the other day, and these two guys smoking weed in the car, this guy and this girl, and this policeman comes to the window and he knocks on the window and he's like, so what are you doing parked here in the traffic? Just stop like this. And the guy's like, I'm waiting for the red stop sign to turn green, you know? (laughs) And I think some of us are waiting for the red stop sign to turn green. We're waiting for this moment when I can begin to rebuild. I'm waiting for this moment when I can re-engage and go forward. And friends, I'd like to suggest to us that as Christians, our space is always building. It's never stop. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. And here's the crazy thing. As Christians, God never called us to come to earth and set up a life for ourselves. When we came to faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus doesn't only give us forgiveness 
and redeem us and give us life and take away the death sentence that's over us because of sin. But what he does is he also gives us a life, not just life. He gives us a life to live. And in that life that he's called us to live, it's a life of constant rebuilding. If anyone in the world, friends, honestly, I believe this, if anyone in the world should be okay, well, not okay with, but have a, a framework to deal with an ever-changing environment, it can be the church. Because we, the, the Bible teaches that there's this kingdom of heaven which God is extending into this earth, and it's different to this earth. It's different to me. Like, I'm not the, you know, the bringer of God's kingdom to this earth. I don't have it all together. God's kingdom is coming into my life and changing my perspective on stuff. I'm like, smash my enemies. God's like, love your enemies. And you just go through all the different, the kingdom of God is like, the, the kingdom of heaven talks about sowing and reaping, loving and caring and living this way. We live in a world at the moment where we're so paranoid, some of us, where we're just grabbing to try and prop things up. The kingdom of heaven is coming to earth at the moment, friends, and God wants to extend his kingdom on earth. And what it's going to take is for us to be okay with and to believe that God is constantly building. God is constantly at work. And he wants to work in and through us. And I, I understand, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to be as gentle as I can because I think I'm, I'm in a very similar position. You, know, you must try and, try and be the guy who leads a team that leads a church during a season like this. Meetings are open, meetings are closed, do this, you know, live bands, not live bands, home groups, not home groups, in homes, not in homes, you know, please don't come visit us, you haven't had the vaccine, you know, okay, get the vaccine, please don't visit us, you had the vaccine, you know what I mean, like, the world's just flipping crazy, it's like, oh, what do I do, so I walk around unclean, unclean, you know, like, but God's kingdom, friends, is extending on this earth. And it's time to build. It's time to build as a church. So I've got a text which uh, you might, if you watch the devotional on Monday, some of this might sound a little bit familiar to you, but God's gripped me with this thing, friends. So I'm going to preach this this morning, and hopefully it's going to challenge us. So if you can turn with me to Luke chapter 6 from verse 46. Luke chapter 6. This is Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew, it's Matthew 5, 6, 7. It's kind of the, he's preaching on a thing called Mount Tabga or Tabcha or whatever, however you pronounce it. And it's kind of like the New Testament version of the Old Testament that when um, Moses is preaching, Moses gets the Ten Commandments, right? And on Sinai, and then he comes down and he gives the law to the people. This is the New Testament version of that, where Jesus now is telling people how they should live. And so Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6. He says from verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and built a foundation on a rock. But when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. So this is Luke's version of that old Sunday school song, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock. And I'd like to use the analogy of a house this morning if I can. Well, I'm talking about something that lasts. I'm talking about building. I'm talking about living a life or having life, right? 
um, by building something that lasts beyond the extent of my days or beyond just today, just going through the motions. So what does a house with little or no foundation look like? And why is that a problem? Because I remember when I was growing up, I was trying to work this thing out. So I, we used to sing the song in Sunday school. The wise man built his house on the rock, and the house on the rock stood firm. And then the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the house on the sand went, and then we all made a fart sound because it was very exciting, and our Sunday school teacher were kids' church was trying to engage with us. But I never quite understood, what does it mean? And friends, it's such a simple story. But if I had to ask you the question, what does it mean to build a house on the rock? What does it mean to build a house with foundations that last, that can face a torrent? And I suspect that for some of us, and as we go through today, friends, I think we'll begin to see that, for, that in different areas, all of us have a poor understanding of what it means to build well. I really mean it. We might be strong in some areas, but in other areas, not so much. And it gives rise to different things in our life. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to deal with surface level things. And so when the house doesn't work, I'm like, there's something wrong with the wall. There's something wrong with the roof. There's something wrong with the electrics. And the issue is in the foundation. So what does a house with little or no foundation look like, and why is it an issue? Well, three quick things. When there is little or no foundation, firstly what happens is, for some of us, we just try and build a life anyway on that, with no foundation. Who needs a foundation anyway? Fake it till you make it, right? Can I say this? Around skill set, fake it till you make it. Around character, don't fake it till you make it. Because if it's not real, friends, it will eventually crack. That's why so many of us live with masks. And we present a certain way. And we're terrified that people will see behind the mask who we truly are. Because I want to look like I've got a giant mansion, but if you looked underneath, I built the entire mansion on a pebble. And it's a polished pebble. Like, I, I put some work into that pebble. But it's a pebble nonetheless, and that thing is waiting to come down. We want to go ahead with it, but Scripture promises us, friends, that if there's no foundation, when the torrent comes, it's coming down. Others of us are a little bit more realistic, I think, about it, and we go, well, I know that I've got a pebble. It's all I got. So I'm going to build a pebble-sized house. And so we end up in what Scripture talks about, the eternal childhood of the believer, where I never grow. Because I know that my foundation can only support a world this big. I was talking to a friend of mine this week. Um, we're having coffee together. And he was telling me about something that he's been working through. And he, he was talking specifically about insecurity. And just saying he's struggled with this thing. It's this thing in his life that's there. It's part, it's wired on the inside of him. But what it's done is it's made his world small. And so there is a limit to the size of the house that, that God can build or he can build on that house. And he's very honest about it. And he's saying, this is where I'm at. And he's very realistic about this is all I can build. And friends, Jesus comes to us at the beginning of this text and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? At some stage, friends, where we open our hands, we're singing, I surrender. Do you know, the, do you know what the, um, the antidote to insecurity is, 
It's not to become more secure. It's not to become more secure in yourself. It's surrender. It's surrender. It's realizing, as broken as I think I am, it's probably worse. But Jesus, like he picked me, and he chose me, and he's making something, and he's building something, so I'm going to surrender and lean on him and say, Lord, whatever you want from me, I'm prepared to do that. I need you to build, do this build, because I can't do this build myself. Jesus comes and he begins to expand the foundation beyond the, the thoughts of what we have. Maybe a bit of a, a shocking statement for some. But friends, I believe there's too many Christians who are trying to become more, more secure in their relationship with God rather than learning to surrender to him. Just hear what I'm saying there for a second. I'm going to go and I'm going to build a great relationship with God, which is going to make my life better. There's a lot of I in that. Now you become more secure in your relationship with God by coming to Him and laying your life down. I'm going to build a bigger foundation. I'm going to lay it down. Lord Jesus, what you have, I can't do this. Everything you are building, everything you are, come and do that in me. Your kingdom, come on earth. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Come and do what you need to do inside of me, Lord. Not eternally, not the eternal childhood, not stunted, not small, living there fearful on our little pebble. And then others of us, the third thing, so firstly, we try and build any way it falls on others of us, we get a bit stunted in our growth. Thirdly, is we, we build and then we realize the foundation's too small, so then we tear it down. And we try to find a different circumstance or a different group of relationships or a different people or a different whatever to go and build because we blame the smallness not on the, on the foundation, but we blame the smallness on the circumstance. So we think, oh, I'll just change the circumstance, I'll be able to build something bigger. But you know what's weird? Like, if you think about your life, it's less like a house and more like a giant caravan that you take in around with you. And so you take your small foundation with you. So no matter where you park it, the foundation goes with you. The foundation goes with me. And friends, I, I've spoken to so many people, and even looking at my own life at times, where I've looked back. I'm, so, I'm spending time with, recently I was at the memorial of someone, and I was hearing guys talk about him. And what it looked like over his life was he built something, it fell apart. It built something, he fell apart. It built something, he fell apart. Just his, his whole life was a legacy of build, crash, build, crash, build, crash, build, crash. And the trail of destruction that he left behind him with his life. People just, lives, like literally lives wiped out because of it. Friends, this stuff is important, what Jesus is saying. It's more important than the Sunday school, the wise man built his house upon the rock. It's way, way, way more exciting, important than that. Samuel says this in 1.15.22, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. I think so often when we look at God, we think, well, I'm going to do this for him, and I'm going to do that for him, and I'm going to do... 
Obedience. That's what God's looking for. Obedience trumps sacrifice. Jesus says to us, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is how we build a life that is built to last, a life that has firm foundations that goes the distance. So what I'm going to do is talk about three quick parts of a house, if I can. I'm not much of a builder. I'm not a builder at all, in fact. I shouldn't be allowed anywhere near a building site. I like playing with the tools, especially the big electric ones. One of my dreams, I was at Christmas place the other day, and we were talking about um, that pneumatic drill hammer thing. would love a crack at one of those one day, just to break up a pavement. It looks like so much fun. I, I, I'm sure it wears off after the first minute, but I would just like to hop out See some guys doing that, break up a pavement a little bit, then hop back in my car, my life would be complete. Um, so, but I'd like to talk about building, if I can. I'd like to talk about building three rooms in our house and talk about how we can actually build. Because, friends, if, if this is a great... Build your life on Jesus. Great. I'm keen. What does that mean? Can you give me, like, some... And I'm with you. Let's talk about building the bedroom, firstly. Our bedroom, building the bedroom in our life, speaks of a place of rest and peace. And friends, there is a specific foundation that we need to build if we're going to have peace and rest in our lives. There is a specific foundation that has to be laid. And that foundation is forgiveness and acceptance specifically laid and it's fascinating to me when I sit with people there's no rest there's inner turmoil there's all this stuff going on we begin to talk through this thing I don't like this group of people I don't like that group of people I've got this against that person I've got this against that person I haven't forgiven them. and I'm just carrying this stuff you can't have that and have a place of rest in your life and a place of peace. It doesn't work. And so often, friends, we, we look at God's kingdom and we're like, Lord, you're so extreme. Like, you're so binary. It's either your way or, you know, or the highway. Like, come on, God. Like, how about we do a little bit of a hybrid thing? A bit of yours, a bit of mine, you know. A bit of savory and sweet. We'll mix it up a little bit. Shabby chic, it'll be awesome. And Jesus is like, No. I built this world. I created all of you. There is a way. There is a pattern. And it's good for you. And I love you. And I've saved you. And if you give yourself to this, you will sleep fitfully. You will find rest. You will have space. You will have peace in your heart. But Lord, can't I just drink a little bit of this poison and feel great? I'd like to, like a hybrid. Someone once said, what was it? Um, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison hoping to kill the other person, you know? Proverbs 17, 9 says, Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Can I tell you what breaks down foundations? Someone does something, the moment you open your mouth to tell someone else about a friend, you just took a jackhammer to the foundation of your life. Of your life. You just made the foundation of your bedroom a little bit smaller. You made the ability to rest a little bit less. Because what if someone finds out about what you said, gossip, and 
just gets smaller, less rest, less peace. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense. Friends, this is, I mean, now we're talking building the foundations, right? Now we, this is like gutsy, right? This is real and honest. I'm not saying pretend it isn't there. Talk to the person 100%. We're talking about going the distance and building a life that's strong. Um, my parents live in Namibia and they come to visit us every now and then. And uh, my daughter Amber's grown quite a lot in the last little while. She's 12, but she's like sort of closing in on my heart. And she's still at a kiddie's bed and we kind of didn't really catch on because she's grown so quickly. And my folks came to visit us. And what would happen was my folks came to visit us um, the girls would sleep in Eden's room, and then Cindy and I would go sleep in Amber's room on, to, to give, the, give my folks our room, and then so we'd sleep on these two single, these little beds, and I realized the last time my folks came to visit us, I was like, shit, these beds are small, you know, I'm like, wake up in the morning, I'm like, like chiropractic, sore, and my parents came to us, and they said, Hey, look, guys, you host us so often, you ask, can we buy Amber a new bed? We would like to buy Amber, a, like a big bed, like a nice queen-size bed for her, that when we come to visit, you guys can sleep on or whatever. Now, up to that point, Amber's been happy with her kitty bed. She's had no issue with it. So, my folks buy this bed, and so... Amber now is sleeping. She can do a starfish vibes and can't touch the edge of the bed, right? <laughs> she hasn't got the biggest room. Just sort of, she literally sleeps in a bedroom. It's a room with a bed in it. That's about it. Like, it's the biggest bed. And, she, and what's happened with Amber is she's, that's her expectation now. A big bed with lots of rest and lots of space. Her room, her room has increased. And then what happens is my folks come to stay, so then we sleep in Amber's room, my folks are in our room, and then she goes to sleep in Eden's room. So she has to, so like Eden's got a double bed. So then Amber's either going to share a double bed with Eden, or she's got to go sleep in the lounge on like a sleeper couch. What on earth is this rubbish now? <laughs> I, when I reach out, I reach over the edge of something. Like I, there's a person there, my sister. She's become like a complete bed snob, if there is such a thing. And friends, some of us have lived so small in a kiddie's bed, lived so long in a kiddie's bed, you've forgotten what it feels like to do this with your life and reach out and be able to rest. You've got so used to waking up in the morning spiritually or emotionally or physically or whatever, we because of the stuff that we haven't forgiven. And our lack of acceptance and our frustration at others. We just keep carrying this thing inside of our heart. Jesus wants to come by his kingdom and restore us. Give us life and life to the full. Luke 6, 37 to 38. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. I'll ask us, friends, this morning, what's the foundation of your, car of your caravan? <laughs> what's the foundation of your bedroom looking like? Second one is the kitchen. 
the kitchen in our lives. And the kitchen speaks of the place of provision in our life. The foundation that needs to be laid in the kitchen, that foundation to make sure that the kitchen is growing and is always full, is generosity living this way. When we grew up, there were four kids, my mom, my, my mom and my dad. And it was amazing. Um, I eventually got into drugs and left and ended up on the street. And one of the things I remember living on the street, I'm not like prodigal son vibes, but literally, I remember sitting there one night in the stairwell of an old building, stench of urine because everyone used to pee there during the day. And like that was one of the places I would sleep. And I sat there and I thought to myself, at my parents' house, I could just go to the fridge now, open the fridge and make myself a sandwich. And I couldn't think of anything more amazing than a peanut butter sandwich in that moment. Still love peanut butter to this. I love peanut butter is amazing. It's blackhead peanut butter specifically. But I remember thinking that just to be able to go and help myself. And friends, that is the joy of living in the house of God, that we can. And God wants to be the one who is our provision. He doesn't want us sitting there being our own provision. Because I've come to see if it's on me to stock my fridge in my life, if it's on me to stock the pantry, whether it be money, emotion, um, time, or when I'm the guy who's running that show, there's never, ever enough. There's always something more. Because I'm giving myself to a whole bunch of stuff that I shouldn't be. I'm wasting myself on a whole bunch of things that I shouldn't be wasting myself on. And God wants to come and fool me. So, uh, Psalm 41, 1 to 3. David writes, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. And you do not give up on Give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed, and in his illness you restore him to full health. I've come to see this over my Christian walk as I've walked with Jesus. It's amazing to me. The people who are generous always seem to have enough. They always seem to have enough. It's the weirdest thing. It almost seems like when God said, what you sow you reap, God cannot be fooled. It's true. Imagine that. And I'm not talking in prosperity gospel. I feel like I, I don't even want to try and qualify what I'm saying this morning. But friends, when I live my life this way, and there's so much temptation at the moment to just grasp, I get it. I need, I want, I'm lonely. I don't have enough at the end of the month. I, whatever the thing is that we're wrestling with, I want to go and grab. Friends, the response is not to grab. The response is to give. It sounds so bizarre, but I'm telling you, you want to build a big foundation in your kitchen that we're not sitting there on a little wooden stool, you know, balancing our little Bunsen burner over another little table, and that's it to the kitchen. Friends, it's a life that's lived this way. I think one of the reasons generous people always have enough is because God knows that he can trust them. He knows that when he pours in there, it goes out. But they're a river. The more that he pours in, the more others are affected. And that's the dream, right? 
That's the kingdom of God extended on earth. That's the church. Lord, I want to be blessed to be a blessing. It's a beautiful story in 2 Kings chapter 4. It says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. This woman's lost her husband, and now she owes money, and the creditors are coming to take her sons. So Elisha the prophet said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Then she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from your neighbors, empty vessels. Don't just gather a few. And when you've come in, shut the door behind you and your sons and pour into those vessels and set aside the full ones. And so she went from him and she shut the door behind her and her sons and who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. And so the oil ceased. Then she came and told Elisha, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. God's response, friends, always. I don't have enough this way. Always. It's crazy. She's got like this little bit of oil left. That's all she's got. And God's like, pour it out. Pour it out into the jars. You know, I'm a little bit of an introvert. Maybe you wouldn't think so right at the moment, but I'm a little bit of an introvert. Kind of sit on the fence. There's times when I feel, um, I feel emotionally a bit drained, a little bit hammered, a little bit like haven't spent time enough with whatever, with myself, I guess. Just being quiet. And there are times where in those moments, I need to go away and rest and be by myself for sure and go be with Jesus. But friends, there's also times in those moments where sometimes God comes to me and he says, John, I know you're a bit tired, but pour it out to someone now. But I'm like, Lord, but I can't. On Monday, Heike and I did a memorial together. It was my day off. I was plastered off the last weekend. Not plastered, like, I was, eh. but <laughs> exhausted. And Heike and I did a, a memorial together. Friends, the, it was the last thing I felt like doing in the whole world. I would have rather drilled myself in the head with a, with a screwdriver. Seriously. But it was important. And it meant something. And friends, you know the most amazing thing is I took the time and poured out and went and drove, we drove all over Joburg. We went to a Hindu crematorium and we were here and then everywhere. It was like a wild day. But as we took the time to pour out, got to see the hand of God at work again. And something caught inside of me again. Some oil began to pour inside. Now, I'm, I know I'm, preach, I'm preaching quite, I'm on the line here because we want to rest. I'm not fighting rest here. But friends, so many of us live so far inside the line. Pour out. Not go and grab and just take, but pour out. And see God. The way God stretches our foundation. How does my kitchen get any bigger if I never step beyond what I know? If I'm only ever sitting on the little table with a little Bunsen burner, how do I know there's any more to that foundation? How does God stretch my foundation? Well, maybe on my day off, there's a little bit extra to do. Just a little bit. And God's very gracious as I walk with him. and He gradually begins to grow that. And I realize that he's the one in control. He's the one who's providing for me. Friends, I don't want these hands to be the things that I lean on for my provision. I don't want this mind to be the thing that I lean on for 
scoping out my world. I need Jesus. I need his kingdom at work. I want to build on a foundation that lasts. Get to the place. Lord, I surrender to you. You are the source of everything in my kitchen. Stock my pantry, Lord. How about that for a prayer? It's like the difference between when Cindy goes shopping and when I go shopping. When Cindy goes shopping, it's very practical. The only stuff that comes home is what was on the list. When I go shopping, even if Cindy gave me a list, it's way more exciting what comes home. I may well have blown the budget and some of the stuff that was supposed to be bought that was on the list maybe didn't get bought, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that also got bought that wasn't... Any guys in the room, were you with me with this one? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yes. The girls love it. When I come home, they just expect. When Cindy comes home with the shopping, they don't expect anything. They're just like, oh, here comes the food, you know, like... Cindy's amazing. If it wasn't for her, we would probably be destitute and like be living on. Friends, don't give in to your fears. I know at the moment there's so much pressure. I know that. I know there's pressure, but don't give in to your fear. You know something my dad used to say? I want to make a comment about tithing quick. My dad used to say this. We were four kids growing up. My mom didn't work. My dad was a civil engineer. My dad used to say this. I can't afford not to tithe because I don't want to be the one who is responsible, right, for carrying my life financially. I need to be able to take this, what God has given me, this tent that he's given me, and return it to him because it's all his, as an act of worship, and say, Lord, do what you need to do through me. And it's amazing how there is space, the jars begin to grow. And I know that at a time like this, there's huge fear around well, guys have been talking around our country and financial situations and work at home, work at work, COVID, all this. Don't give in to your fears at the moment, friends. Please. Let's build a big kitchen. Quick thought. No, no, I'm not going to go there. Maybe not. Yes, no, no. Okay. Last one, building the lounge. No, I do need to say this, actually. It's really important. <laughs> Do you know what scripture says about fasting? It says when you fast, right? True fasting is what? Care for the widows and orphans and that kind of stuff. So here's the thing, right? And it says when you fast, like don't walk around all miserable and looking bummed and everything, paraphrased version of the Bible. When you fast, can I make a suggestion, right? Cook the meal anyway and just bless someone else with it. Don't just save, save on the grocery bill for the night. Right? That's it, like fasting making a difference, pouring out. Anyway, building the lounge quickly. The lounge speaks of friendships and influence. And friends, if the world's ever needed friendship and influence, it's now. We want it. I want to be able to influence and make a difference in my world. And how does that happen? Friends, that's built on a foundation. A foundation of making disciples by loving people, not by making friends. very careful about how I say this. Jesus didn't put us into the world and say this to us, go into all the world and make friends. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. We are on a God-given mission to turn our city, our country, and our world on its head for Jesus, all of us. That's why we're here. We didn't get saved into a church or a community so that we can all hug each other and be each other's best chummies and have people around at our brides. That is the byproduct of everything we get to do. 
You know, later on, Pete and Taz are going to be fighting over who's going to win the, the you know, Formula One, and it's going to be like a blood war. I get that. But that's a byproduct of the kingdom being extended through the church. We have a mission given by God to us. In John 21, when Jesus was restoring Peter, listen to this. He says, when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is after Peter's denied Jesus three times, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. The third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Friends, Jesus, like this is maybe hard for some of us, but Jesus' intention for you and for me is to make disciples. Jesus' responsibility and, and what he's looking at in us is that we would lead others, that we would have influence, and that we would be able to show people the kingdom and see the kingdom extended through us in other people's lives. That's his end game for all of us. When he restores Peter, he doesn't go like, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Okay, give me a hug. <laughs> you know? Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Okay, go change the world. No, no, no. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. Okay, Peter. I really want you to go change the world. Peter, you sure? Lord, come on. Like, uh, Peter, you're going to change the world. A small stunted lounge is a lounge that only has space for friends and people that we feel comfortable with. When I talk about our lounge, I'm talking about our lives. A small stunted life is a life that only has space for friends and people that we are comfortable with. We exist to take this incredible truth of Jesus and his kingdom to the four corners of the earth. Friends, I want to live a life that lasts with deep foundations. Foundations that extend into eternity and not just here on earth. I want to be at peace with my fellow man so that I can reach him. I want to be generous with my fellow man so that I can reach him. And I want to share this incredible story of Jesus with the whosoever. Can I pray for us? Thank you so much for joining us. You might be asking yourself the question, how can I take this further? Firstly, you can send us your contact details to cindy at centerchurch.co.za where we can include you in our online connect groups and you can receive our daily devotional. Secondly, you can hop on our website where you can access previous sermons and find out more about who we are at Center Church. Thirdly, if you consider yourself as part of Centre Church, we want to thank you so much for your ongoing financial partnership. The banking details are on the website. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you have an amazing Sunday.